Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Glamier. Hi, this is Dr. Tavis Samir. I'm a cosmetic dermatologist, owner, and founder of Mir Skin Cosmetic in New York City and star of an Emmy Award-winning Bravo TV show. My podcast is all about great conversations with your favorite celebrities, media personalities, and well-known experts in the worlds of lifestyle, celebrity, relationships, and more. Through their stories, I hope to uplift, inspire, and educate. This is Glamier. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Glamere. I'm here with a little bit of a different episode today. We're going to talk about one of the most prominent missing person cases of the social media age, the disappearance of Maura Murray. And I'm here today with the um, o- Oxygen Television's brand new miniseries and two people that are re- investigating and reopening and rediscovering um, the facts of these cases to see if we can actually come to a conclusion. It's actually so riveting. I have Maggie Freeling here. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And Art Roderick here. Thanks for having me. Um, I have to ask you guys to just introduce yourselves really quickly so people know who they're talking to. Arthur. Yeah, my name's uh, Art Roderick. Um, Actually, this is like my 40th year in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I spent 25 years with the U.S. Marshals. I was an Army MP, local police officer, and uh, spent last six years with Homeland Security. Amazing. And Maggie. I am actually a public radio producer, and I have a background in women's issues, social issues, um, humanitarian issues. That's where I come from. Well, I want to also ask you, Maggie, why this case is so important to you, why you became so involved in it. So I went to UMass, the same school Maura went to, um, and it was just so crazy to me that this young girl who had her whole life ahead of her, who was just like me and my friends, just vanished off the face of the earth. Um, You know, so that off the bat, I was just drawn to, just Mm -hmm. the connection with UMass. But then at the same time, I come from this background of women's issues, and it's just, you know, the the problem, the larger issue of missing people in the United States was something I was really drawn to. And one of the things you said is she also went to UMass. So let's kind of get into the facts of this case. Um, it's it One of the things that struck me is it's one of the, be- the biggest ones of the social media age. Mm-hmm. She disappeared the same week Facebook mm-hmm. launched. So it was just a natural thing that a lot of online chatter would be written about her. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me the facts of the case, what we know so far from the beginning. Um, it was February 9th of 2004. Um, Maura was, a, was at UMass. Uh, she left her dorm room, made a couple of stops at an ATM machine and a liquor store, and drove her car north to Haverhill, New Hampshire. Now, there was some other issues going on prior to that. That's what makes this case co- mm-hmm. so complicated. But the, she left UMass so far that from the information we have, we assume around 3.30 in the afternoon uh, on February 9th. Um, she gets in a minor motor vehicle accident up in Haverhill, New Hampshire at around 7.25, 7.27 p.m. Mm-hmm. The first 911 call comes in at 7.27. Uh, law enforcement shows up and calls out with the county at around 7.46. Okay. 
So she gets into this crash at 727. Right. The first 911 call is at 729? 727. 727, gotcha. So that's the first 911 call. Uh, Who made that call? One of the neighbors? One of the neighbors. The neighbors across the street Mm -hmm. who are actually very close, about... 40 feet. 40 feet. And just to paint a picture, this is a very small town. It's a very rural road. The neighbors are probably watching everything because that's Mm -hmm. what you do in small towns, Mm -hmm. especially with a crash. Mm -hmm. And so there are definitely eyes on this crash. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That's another bizarre thing mm-hmm. about this case is there was actually three people that had three different people that had or houses that had eyes on the case. Yep. One individual who was driving a school bus home actually stopped and spoke to her. Mm-hmm. And he only lived about 100 yards yeah, down the street. his house could visibly see And the he crash. drove right. the school bus right past her. One of the things I remember reading is that he asked her if she called a tow truck. Or something? He said he was going to go home and call the police. Gotcha. And she said, no, 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 I called AAA. Got it. But there is no cell service there, even to this day. Yes, that's another thing that I saw you guys talk about. There was no cell service when this happened in 2004. And even today in 2017, there's still no cell service Still no cell service. So what happens? This bus driver pulls up. He asks her if he can call AAA. She said she's already called. He knows it's not possible. Then what? He leaves. Uh, he says she is. She looks a little disheveled. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just been in an accident. The airbag's deployed in the car. So, I mean, she gets hit in, the, hit in the face with an airbag. And she's a little disheveled, but he doesn't think anything's really mm-hmm. uh, heavy duty about it. He leaves the scene, goes home, and calls 911. Got it. So this is the second 911 call. That so comes she's in. alone during that time? Yes. Okay. Yep. And then? And then when the police show up, she's gone. She's the gone. police showed up less than 15 minutes later. Right. And she was already gone. gone. Already gone. So there's that f- time frame where she disappeared. It's about seven minutes. Yeah. Okay. Well, the next thing I want to ask is, what about the neighbors in the area? Like we discussed, you know, there's a lot of, there's a very small road, very small right. town. You have three neighbors that are right there. Did anyone see anything? People saw, I mean, saw the the taillights of the vehicle. Uh, Flurry of activity at the rear of the vehicle, um, which is a whole Mm other section of this um, uh, complex story. But they saw her, Mm -hmm. but they must have turned their heads. Yeah. uh, Because shortly after the 911 call, she goes missing. Yeah. So one of the things that people talk about is, is she a victim of foul play or did she purposely disappear? Did she want to be gone? And that's where I find this really fascinating because a lot of people think that she, she wanted to actually leave and be, and be gone. Some even think she might still be alive today. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say to that? Like, I feel like there's so much you have to say, <laughs> so just take <laughs> it from here. Um, you know, I think one of the problems with this case is that I am actually the first female reporter to work on it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really the first person that could kind of say what a 21-year-old girl might be thinking in her head, even yeah. though we are all different. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of people who have looked at this and who think that she's still alive out there and her life was so devastating that she ran away mm-hmm. are middle-aged men kind of projecting yeah. these things onto her. Um, and so that's really what I have to say about that. I mean, we will never be in somebody's head to know what they're thinking or what what kind of pressures will make them snap. But she was a 21-year-old girl. And, and yeah, these things were pretty pretty significant in her life. But is it enough to drop your life forever and not contact right. your family for 13 years? Uh, to me, for a 21-year-old girl with less than $280 in her pocket 
to disappear. It's it's almost impossible. I mean, it takes years to plan yeah. something like that to right. either fake your death or drop off the face of the earth. It's just very difficult. It's to do it's that. it's also important for me to say that she was driving north, significantly like 140 miles north of where she was residing. Right. Nobody knows why she was heading that way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this case is trying to figure out what was her motivation to go there. Exactly. Because if they could figure out why, it might be a clue to what happened. That's mm-hmm. exactly how we approach this case is why was she going up there? Mm-hmm. Where was she going? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the family believes that she was going to clear her head. She was familiar with that area. Mm-hmm on the east side of the White Mountains. She's on the west side of the White Mountains driving across Mm -hmm. what's called the Kankamangas Highway, Mm -hmm. which goes over to an area that she was familiar with. with. She could have been going away for the weekend and and that sort of thing. It appears like she was. Mm -hmm. So as you saw, you know, she had her school books in her car. She had done her homework that morning. Three o'clock in the morning, she sent her homework assignment in. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this was somebody who was bringing books to study, doing her homework. It really seemed like she was just taking a break. I mean, she bought herself a week's worth of time sending the letter to her professors. It just, Mm -hmm. it didn't seem like somebody that was disappearing forever. Why would you do your homework? Why would you bring your books with you? So what you're saying is she sent out her homework a week in advance so she wouldn't miss schoolwork. And having been through med school myself, I understand that I would not be doing any homework if I was trying to get out of Dodge. Why are you doing homework if you're leaving your life? You can keep that biochem. You can keep all that stuff to yourself. So I get that. Um, I want to talk real quickly about who she was as a person because she was a West Point she she was like a really great athlete mm-hmm. really top of her class in school got admitted to West Point which is one of the most calm like hardest places to get into into the yes. country left West Point for controversial reasons to go become a nursing student at UMass top of her class everybody liked her had a boyfriend um, and that's not somebody you expect to just disappear mm-hmm. right Yeah, I mean, when you look into the details of it all, Mm -hmm. it is somebody whose life seemed to be unraveling a little bit. Mm -hmm. Again, she's a 21-year-old girl. girl. We all make mistakes. But, um, you know, she did have almost get kicked out of West Point. I mean, Mm -hmm. she removed herself before it got to that point. Mm -hmm. She had stolen $5 worth of cosmetics. cosmetics. Um, Which in itself is weird because why would you steal $5 worth of cosmetics from Fort Knox, by the way, right? Right, yeah. If you weren't trying to sabotage being there, like you wanted to be kicked out. It seems like that. Maura, I mean... Yeah, she had these very high ambitions. I mean, she had a fourteen twenty on her SATs. It's almost a perfect score. Yeah. I mean, this was an overachiever Better person. Than me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> trust me. <Yeah. laughs> but I mean, you know, she was an overachiever. She was a parent pleaser. I mean, she was a really great kid. But at the same time, she was a really fun kid. She wanted to do what twenty one year olds grow. Yeah, twenty one year old girls. She wanted do. to let loose. She wanted maybe to let loose she and may party. have felt a little bit restriction yeah, by her parents or her father. Right. West Point. Or I West think Point. was restricting I mean, to you, that. Yeah. Fun side of her, and you, you, you know, at the time frame that she got into this trouble uh, for stealing the cosmetics is actually the time where you have to fully commit to West Point mm-hmm. or back out. Mm-hmm. You can leave oh, up really? until your, I think it's halfway through your sophomore yeah. year. You have to make the decision to commit to West Point or mm-hmm. not. Right, because you're and basically this is like right at that time at frame, that point right. in the military. Yes. Got it. And that was right at this point when she did this. 
as uh, if she was trying to say as she if wanted she out. was right mm-hmm. yeah. another thing that was happening around this time is this controversial relationship she had with her boyfriend on the surface it yeah. seemed perfect um, but come to find out that he may have been cheating on her um, yeah. what do you guys know about that I mean, there, there, the family, you know, Julie, her sister, who, mm-hmm. was a, who was a graduate, who is a graduate of West Point, mm-hmm. um, has some very straight opinions on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're both 21 years old, 21, 22 years old. Yeah. I mean, uh, people make mistakes all the time and are questioning whether they mm-hmm. want to spend the rest of their life with a particular individual at that young age. I mean, I can kind of relate to it because at, you know, at that age, I was yeah. in medical school, I had a boyfriend, and there were times where I was like, oh man, I just want right. to go have fun, yeah. but not enough to disappear. So that's where I Well, am, I think it was more like than, um, you know, wanting to be with somebody else. I think that there have been allegations against Billy mm-hmm. that you know he he has right. sexual assault allegations. That's right. He did um, have a controversial yeah. past. Yes. What was that that we know about? Yeah. So that's a that's a claim that James Renner made from an interview he said he had with Billy. We have not personally interviewed Billy for the show. He would not be interviewed. He, he would not be interviewed. To, okay. He did, he did reach out and yeah. and speak with Art, but off camera, off record, saying right. I just don't want to be part of this. I'm moving on with my life. Um, but producers had called the women that made the allegations and corroborated and those they, ourselves. And they participated in that. Yeah. In Not the, in the, the show, interview. but the women gotcha. had said to our producers, the, we did make these allegations. Okay. So, you know, looking at those things, maybe it was more than just cheating. I mean, yeah. maybe there was some sort of abuse, abuse towards or Mora. I mean, we, we know that he didn't have anything to do with her disappearance, with right? Her physically, with her but emotional state, he had a lot. To oh do yeah, about absolutely. It, yeah, yeah, you know, which yeah. is like, do we talk about mm-hmm. her wanting to disappear? His treatment of her, the relationship, definitely lends to her emotional state and right. motivation of why. Yeah. Again, is it enough, or or we, you know, that's what we're struggling. I with. I think it's enough to say, you know, and as we saw with the Kathleen interview, she was really upset Kathleen with her is, sister. Kathleen her sister. is her other sister, mm-hmm. who's the right. oldest sister, who she was closest to, and right. who she had the controversial "my sister" phone call with. Yeah. And as we saw, that was right before her disappearance, where Kathleen told her she had just gotten out of rehab mm-hmm. and was drinking again. So the events leading up to, let me bullet point this, if we may. The events leading up to this crash and a subsequent mystery disappearance is her boyfriend and her were having issues mm-hmm. that were probably worse than we know. She had left West Point to be at UMass. And her sister had called her, letting her know that she had fallen off the wagon and is drinking again. So there were some some stressors in her life before. And we, we haven't even talked about the credit card issue that she had at UMass, which was right around November mm-hmm. of 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking just a few months prior, she got in trouble for using somebody else's credit card to buy pizza at the dormitory Mm -hmm. she ended up going to court and Mm -hmm. basically they said if your nose is clean for three months we'll just dismiss the the charges and wipe your record clean and then she gets in a car accident Mm -hmm. uh, 36 hours before she leaves for new hampshire yeah and basically wrecks her father's car Mm -hmm. um, and has to deal with her father on that issue and then uh two days later she leaves, we think, to clear her head and gets involved in another accident. So I think this paints the picture of what was leading up to this, mm-hmm. right? What are the biggest questions of, of, now that we know her history right before and kind of what happened at the scene of her disappearance, what remains the biggest questions you guys have? I think, was she meeting anybody up there? Mm-hmm. Right. 
did she travel with somebody up there? Mm-hmm. Um, what else? There was yeah. alcohol in the car, too. Yes. yes. Right. We don't know if she was actually drinking, but um, the police say that there was an open container, container yeah. that smelled like alcohol. And it looked like there was also red stains on the mm-hmm. roof of the car. Which could have been wine splatter from the wine. Splatter from the wine, right. So, I mean, there was... Which, which might, you know, the drinking might seem like an insignificant... The drinking might seem like an insignificant detail, but if she had been drinking and gotten the accident, she wouldn't want to encounter the police. No. Right. No. So it is significant in it that is significant. sense. Right. Especially if she had to keep her nose clean exactly. after exactly. the prior They would have reinstated card. the charges down yeah. in Massachusetts. And, uh, and, I, and, you know, the other thing we think that possibly could have happened here, too, is she saw the school bus driver as an employee of the county and he's going home to call 911 she got out i got to figure out how to get out of here yeah so it could quite be that she was fleeing the scene because she was scared of right the repercussions of a dui you know with everything she's going through um there's also been a lot of theory about somebody else driving past her to pick her up when when she got into that crash what do you guys know about that you mean the tandem driver theory tandem driver theory yeah um I mean, it seems to make the most sense in that if it was somebody she didn't know that was trying to get her in the car, there would have been a struggle. It would have been a longer process. So it does make sense in that aspect that it was somebody she knew, she was comfortable, she just hopped in and they were gone. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we do explore this theory in the show and come to our own conclusions about it. Yeah, I think when you look at the the possibilities of what could have happened to her, there's like five or six different theories. Mm-hmm. None of them are off the pl- none of them are off the plate. Some of them I think are more probable mm-hmm. than others that mm-hmm. would have occurred here. But um, I think they're all in play to some degree, mm-hmm. some lesser than others. Um, the suicide one, I she just doesn't I seem like. I hadn't heard that that she might have killed herself. Yeah, that that was something. And that was one like you know, not a major spoiler that just even from the beginning wasn't one of our uh, more plausible theories. I mean, we had always just said, where's the body? There were no footprints in the snow, so it didn't seem like she had gone into the woods. Um, That it just didn't seem... And that's another thing. If it was snowed on the ground, you could follow a a couple feet of snow on the ground. And so there was no footprint trail. Just vanished. No more footprints. Right. Mm -hmm. Which makes the tandem driver theory kind of likely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the dogs, and it's a fact in the case that when they oh, did the right. first search, mm-hmm. the dogs right. lost the scent 100 yards up the street in front of the bus driver's house, as if, like, right. it was just she got in a car and left. One of the things that I saw while watching this was a lot of her family, her sisters and her father, didn't cooperate with the police or were never interviewed by the police. That's just bizarre to me. It made it seem like they weren't cooperating. What really happened there? So I think Art's sighing over here. <laughs> He's like, oh. no, I know, I know. I think this whole um, idea that the family was not cooperating, I think when you talk to the police, they, they were cooperating. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea that Fred didn't talk to the police for five years and then brought his lawyer, mm-hmm. he didn't sit down for a formal interview for five years, and I forget his reasoning, but right. he was speaking to the police Otherwise, it's not like he had shut down. Mm-hmm. So people hear that and think, oh, my gosh, the family wasn't cooperating. But they were. They, they were. were talking. Yeah, mm-hmm. They were talking, and he he talked to the police and the attorney general's office on a fairly regular basis in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think w- what occurred here is there was a personality conflict between 
a specific individual um, at the New Hampshire State Police and Fred, the father. Mm -hmm. They just didn't get along. They didn't get along. And it created this issue uh, between them that, that I know at this current date and time, the AG's office and the state police are trying to rectify that personality conflict that they had in the beginning. What would cause a personality conflict like that? Because, you know, think about what you're talking about here. Um, you've got a family member or father who's lost his daughter, mm-hmm. right? You've got the police that are trying to find the daughter. They have a conflict. And then who really wins there? Nobody you know? wins. Nobody wins. Nobody wins. So and, and, and the other thing you got to understand, too, is and when this initially happened, mm-hmm. it was an abandoned vehicle. Yeah. We see them all the time. I used to see them mm-hmm. when I was a patrolman. It happens every day in the United States. People get in a car accident and for whatever reason walk away mm-hmm. and then claim the vehicle the next day. Mm-hmm. So this is what law enforcement initially thought. We have we have the benefit of 13 years mm-hmm. of, of hindsight here where we can pick and say they should have done this, they should have done this, they should have done this. Mm-hmm. Well, 99.9% of the time, the people show up the next day yeah. to claim and their so car. So you kind of thought maybe that's, that would right. happen. Yeah. Right. But even today, the police will will own the mess ups in the beginning. Right. I mean, it's different people on the case now and they look back at back then and they're it's, trying it's to fix personal. it. It's right. not personal. It's not like you have to say, I messed up, but they probably mess up. Is that what they think happened? Do they think that they messed up? Does law enforcement think uh, that they messed up the case in the beginning? Uh, you know, there. It, knowing what we know now, they probably would have done a full-blown crime scene yeah. on the vehicle, mm-hmm. but that's n- not the way it was laid out mm-hmm. in the beginning. Do they admit that they probably made some mistakes? Do they fully admit that? They're yeah. not perfect, mm-hmm. but they have no been trying to catch up. there were no cell phones at that time. No. It was kind of pre... It was first there were cell phones. Well, there were cell phones. Forgive Maura me. did have a cell phone. <laughs> Forgive yeah. me. There were cell phones. It was only 2004. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that whole cell phone <laughs> thing... Um, you're right, because they said there was a ping, mm. right? Yes, there was. They they were tracking the ping. They're not too sure about it, mm-hmm. though. Uh, it was over in Londonderry, New Hampshire. Gotcha. Um, but the so tracking was certainly nothing that we have now. Right. I mean, if yeah. this was now, it yeah. would be much different. Yeah. Right, it would be much different. So yeah. you're, you've got the police that didn't really treat it like a crime scene, because at the time it just looked like she walked away. Right. Um, what are the plausible things that could have happened in those 15 minutes? You know, that she disappeared. I mean, so you touched on a tandem driver, mm-hmm. somebody right. she knew. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody she, she didn't know. Somebody she didn't know mm-hmm. who she did get away safe. I mean, yeah. maybe she did just not mm-hmm. want to go with Butch. I mean, mm-hmm. people have speculated about the way he looks. I mean, I don't know if you've seen him. He's a very large, large. man with we're a handlebar about, mustache. We're talking about the bus driver. The bus driver. driver. The bus driver that initially pulled up. And yes, I have seen what Butch looks like, yeah. and he looks exactly like his name. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. like he's like yeah, a big yeah, guy yeah. from the country with a handlebar mustache. You yeah. Know? yeah. But, um, so some people say, you know, she might have been afraid of him. Yeah. Um, so then the next person that comes by, maybe it was a young, handsome-looking person mm-hmm. that, that she said, okay, I'm more comfortable with this person. I'll get in the car with them. Yeah. And whether that turned out wrong and horrible and there was foul play involved or this person thought nothing of it dropped her off and she's out and about living her life one of the things about this um mini series um, that you guys are doing is that you have interviews with family members that a lot of times it's the first time they've ever spoken about this um how did you swing that how did you guys get these these family members and people talking to you that never even talked to the police how did that happen i often wonder about that that's when we looked at this uh, very initially on, we had different groups of people. We had witnesses. We had 
the podcasters that had a ton of information. We had James Renner, who wrote a book and gathered a lot of information. Yeah, and I want to talk about him. You had family, you had law enforcement, and none of them were really talking to each other. That's right. And we kind of became the spoke in the middle of that wheel Mm -hmm. that was was able to talk to every one of these groups and pull the information together. I think the, the biggest, the hardest issue we had to deal with was all the bogus information out there. Because of the social media age Because starting. of the social media mm-hmm. age. And mending the broken relationships that were caused by some right. of the bad information out there. I mean, yeah. it was really hard mm-hmm. to get access to pretty much anybody because it of what had time. been done prior to us coming in. And what had been done is a lot of a lot of villainization, false allegations, exactly. sensationalizations on social media right. like if you google her there are reddit pages dedicated there are, there's a podcast dedicated to it so right. people had crazy conspiracy theories mm-hmm. which hurt the family mm-hmm. and hurt law enforcement mm-hmm. call from mom answer it call silenced instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game that's why they make ordering from your couch easy Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Inspiring conversations on lifestyle, celebrity, relationships, and more. This is Glamier with Dr. Tavis Amir. And let's talk about um, Renner, the, the author. One of the mistakes that I, I don't know if he says it's a mistake, but I kind of feel like it could have been a mistake is he engaged a lot with the social media mm-hmm. to get info. And what happened there? Um, <laughs> I mean, he, he does engage yeah. and he act, he has a lot of fans that mm-hmm. people really like him. Mm-hmm. Um, I will give Renner credit. If it wasn't for him, I don't think this information about her uh, getting kicked out of West Point and mm-hmm. the credit card fraud would be out there. And really? that's pretty key. He did find that information and put it out there publicly. So the the family never told uh, anybody about this. So a lot of these secrets, this backstory, he discovered. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, the family wouldn't talk to him either. Yeah, because Um, why is that? They were hurt by what he was saying. Well, I I think they were hurt by what he was saying on the blog because he did have his blog since 2011, and his book didn't come out until 2016. So he had, had been looking into this case for quite a while. Um, Fred told us he didn't like the first book that Renner did about mm-hmm. Amy Mahalovic, right. The Missing Girl. Mm-hmm. So Fred kind of knew what would be coming with that and wanted nothing to do with it. So Fred didn't respect this guy. Yeah. Right. And he made a lot of really accusations about the family and friends. Meaning that they could have had something to do with this. Well, but I, but I mean, even to the point where he delved into issues that had nothing to do with the disappearance. Really? Like, Laura like personal family? Like personal family. family issues on friends and, mm-hmm. and the family itself, mm-hmm. uh, which burned a lot of bridges for us. I mean, yeah. we actually had to go in and mend we did. a lot of stuff. And did you to do a lot of mending? Yes. Do we get to watch that on the miniseries as it unfolds? Uh, I think yeah. some of it is on I there, think there's yeah. some interviews that we really wanted to get that didn't happen because there was just really no mending. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people are just really Completely done with it. Off, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but there are a lot of interviews that we got that I think people will be really surprised with that yeah. we were able to, to get after all this. One of which is with Kathleen, mm-hmm. the oldest sister. Mm-hmm. When we talk about uh, one of the precipitating things that you guys talked about early on before her disappearance is that her sister Kathleen called her and it was such a distraught 
reaction from Mora that she was actually sent home from work. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that she said about that call was my sister. And no one talked to the sister. You guys were the first Mm -hmm. person to talk to her. Um, We get to watch that on this show. Um, And then you also had a person that, which I thought was fascinating. What was the name of the young lady who helped you with? Evie Pomporis. Yes. And her role is basically she can figure out if people are lying through their body language. It's amazing. Um, And and it wasn't with Kathleen that we thought she was lying. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, but we had to figure out how to get her to remember, actually take her back to that time period. And, you know, when you're doing interviewing Mm -hmm. um, in criminal type cases, it takes hours to actually get somebody to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's, we spent three and a half, four hours, Maggie, Mm -hmm. interviewing her. Uh, I was watching in another room Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Evie was there to help Mm -hmm. give some techniques to help because, you know, as we found out um, from Kathleen is that she didn't think the phone call was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Now, it wasn't a big deal for her. Mm-hmm. Which is what we suspected, deal. too. Right. We did suspect that she wasn't actually hiding something. She could not. It right. was just average thing. I talked yeah. to Maura on the phone. Mm-hmm. I told yeah. her all this stuff. and But that was the last conversation she had mm-hmm. with Maura. Yes. So it is kind of a big deal. Yes. Like if anyone's ever lost anyone in their life, everybody remembers the last time they spoke. Right. Pretty I, clearly, I, I think. I also wonder if it was maybe so traumatic to her that it was kind of blocked out. With and as emotions. we know, yeah, yeah. And as we know, she was drinking back then. Yeah. She, she That's another have point. alcohol problem. So right. it's possible it was blacked out from trauma, emotion. And also when you are drinking you tend to be more emotional and nonsensical. So maybe right. she doesn't remember how sure. she was acting and the sober sister on the other side does. Sure. She said she had taken some sleeping, sleeping pills. pills. So who knows if and that was And told more of that. Mm-hmm. And then also talking about her sort of failed marriage or yes. abusive marriage mm-hmm. that she was mm-hmm. in. So I think all that combined with the other issues, the car accident, mm-hmm. you put all that together and for a 21-year-old young woman it was I a think. lot at once right. it was all happening at once right. i mean within a matter of three months credit card fraud car accident her sister you know right. boyfriend, boyfriend that's not great to you right. it was a lot what do you guys think happened like what you've been in the thick of it you've been talking to everyone do you think she's still alive somewhere hiding out what do you guys think happened i mean some of the interesting stuff maggie did an interview with a with a with an author who wrote a book concerning mm. somebody that had disappeared. And I think that has a real unique perspective. And she basically says she doesn't think that Mora would have that ability to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, unless she had took years like of planning. Yeah, And to us, even though there was a bunch of things happening in her life, she was close to her family. Mm-hmm. She was close to her father, close to her sisters and her brother, youngest brother, um, that it just didn't seem like a, a mm. high probability that that she would run away and start a new life mm-hmm. and also her mother was sick we forgot to mention that her mom was sick yes yeah i you know i uh she hadn't been fully diagnosed at the time mm-hmm. with cancer mm-hmm. <clears throat> but i think she was beginning mm-hmm. to get sick at that point in yeah. time she passed away a couple years in mm-hmm. 2009 2009 on Moore's birthday on yeah. Moore's birthday it's really tragic but again um what do you think happened like after all of this, have anybody or anyone figured this out? 
So I we, know that we're going to see a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah. Tell so me we, what you can. <laughs> we, we can't really say what we come to because, right. you know, because after have to watch that. Right. All of yeah. this and I have to ask. Exactly. Yeah. You have to try. You have to try <laughs> to ask. What happened? How does it end? After all these episodes, you know, we go through every theory. And like Art okay. said, we talk to so many experts. And like we get some really surprising interviews with law enforcement. And really we take all the information and sit down with it and say what is the most likely scenario that happened knowing everything we know from this year of investigating um and we come to a conclusion which you will have to watch and, and we get to see that on you yes. get to see you it and you can you can come to that conclusion with us right. and look at the same evidence and right. say you know what i don't agree with them yeah. we put it all out there so what you're saying to me is by the time I invest six episodes in and something that I find so fascinating, you're not going to leave me hanging at the end. You're going to have some sort of really rationalized, educated theory as to what has happened to her. Mm-hmm. Most yes. And people who watch it can either agree or disagree. That's Right. And what we're hoping is, is the show will, uh, you know, get somebody out there to say, you know, I bumped into her mm-hmm. in a gas station 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Let me call them and, and let them know this information. Speaking of that, there has been <coughs> sighting. There have been sightings mm-hmm. of her. Yes. The author Renner has mm-hmm. actually talked to people who claimed that they've seen her mm-hmm. after disappearance. How credible is that? We talk to those same people, yeah. and you can see those interviews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you know the problem. Having done this for a lot of years, uh-huh. um, the problem with eyewitness statements or or you have to corroborate them with other bits yeah. of information. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to do shows on America's Most Wanted, mm-hmm. and somebody would say, oh, I saw him in a 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. Th- there's nothing, there's no actionable lead there. There's nothing yeah. you can do about it. You can show him pictures all day long. And he he actually showed a single picture. Yeah. You don't do that. I mean, yeah. you got to show multiple. And he showed an old photo right. of her right before she went missing, right. a young 21-year-old girl, when at the time she's closer to 30. Yeah. Right. I don't look the same now as when I did when I was 21. Yeah. So yeah. that was a, a problem. Um, yeah. And yeah, 99% of those, I saw them in the 7-Elevens yeah. turn out to be nothing. Now, if you get three of them like yeah. that, hmm, yeah. there's something going on here. Well, also, I got to see in the first episode or the second that him actually asking a clerk somewhere. Yeah. And I was watching this clerk thinking to myself, you know that whole thing about the power of suggestion? Mm-hmm. You know, it felt a lot like that. Like when you have three people in a room and you say, hey, does this smell like strawberries? And two of them say yes. Mm-hmm. That third person may not think it smells like strawberries, but she's going to say that well, it does. Well, and you're hitting on something huge mm-hmm. because he didn't walk in with a lineup. Mm-hmm. He walked in with one picture right. of a girl. And Maura is a very pretty girl, mm-hmm. but she's also, she doesn't really stand out either. She's, she kind of, she's a very pretty girl, mm-hmm. but she looks like a, any college student on right. any campus. She exactly. looks like a very average, pretty girl. Yeah. And that's not mean. I'm not saying no, anything mean about her. but it's the truth. But she doesn't have these, you know, crazy distinguishing features yeah. about her. She's so very, you, a exactly. very all-American. Mm-hmm. And there's that's the truth. And that's what I thought when he was showing her this photo. It yep. could be anyone. Hair she looks like people yeah. that I had in my sorority, you know? Right. Um, I, and, and after all these years, you sometimes don't, especially a clerk saying, and the way the clerk answered the question wasn't that convincing. Right. Yeah. And that's what's interesting mm-hmm. paired with what Renner tells us. Renner says, I walk in and yes. she says, yeah, absolutely. There's she a, doesn't say yes, absolutely. She says, right. yes. Yeah. The, I think I saw her. I, I Three appreciate, weeks ago. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that you said that because yeah. I noticed that. Mm-hmm. You have um, a photo, a video of him asking the clerk. Mm-hmm. The clerk hesitates, looks down at the picture, pauses, and is like, 
yeah, but it's like a meh kind of yeah. thing. When Renner's telling you the story, it's like she absolutely said she saw her three right. weeks ago. I'm like, no, she didn't. So no, that didn't, storytelling right. aspect is a little bit, you know, right? It changes. It's not. It wasn't quite as um, as insistent as he said. Right. Right. And here and here's the thing too. It's it always comes off as like this Renner bashing, but at the same time, there are people that do disappear mm-hmm. for years, decades, and turn up. I mean, very recently, there was a woman in Texas who mm-hmm. turned up after 40 years. Right. She had left her family in the north somewhere, Michigan, somewhere like that. Shows up in Texas recently, 2016. She'd been gone for 40 years. Did she show up on her own, or did somebody find her? Someone found her. They had been yeah. looking for her. And they finally traced it to like an alternate identity and found out she's right there. She and, just and, left. And not to bash anybody, but one of the things that, that Renner says is, if you find her which you will yeah. because she's still alive, don't tell anybody because then her family can get to her. And I thought, what is that called when people have an a hypothesis and just want to make sure that all evidence points towards that? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Didn't you say that in one of the episodes? Did. You did. We have to make sure he's not fitting, putting, fitting things in his, into his yeah. narrative. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, having been in, um, I remember when I was going through school in my residency, there was this one doctor that um, we were all in our training together and if he was convinced that this was the disease no matter what he found, he would make sure it fit into the diagnosis, yeah, yeah. Yeah. when oftentimes that wasn't what it was at all. Yeah. He would right. find the pieces that made it fit. So I felt a lot of that was happening with that, him. That's exactly what's happening yeah. with him. Yeah. Um, why show this now after all this year? What's the interest with this case for you guys? Why did you both get him? Like, I know a little bit why you got involved, Maggie, but well, after I mean, 40 I, I, years in law enforcement. Yeah, um, there's, there's a couple reasons. Uh, number one, I'm a father, I have three daughters mm-hmm. that are, right around the same age Maura would be mm-hmm. today. Um, but also, Fred is from Massachusetts. I'm mm-hmm. from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, he, we're, he works in Cape Cod. I'm from Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. I've actually bumped into him a couple times mm-hmm. on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's a connection between us mm-hmm. geographically. And emotionally, that and, um, Yes, yeah. And, and, you know, I've spent enough time with Fred and his family now mm-hmm. that we do have a connection, which mm-hmm. is unusual for me because I've never had to have a connection yeah. before to, yeah. to, you know, when you're looking for fugitives, yeah. Yeah. it's it's a completely different line of work. So it is different from that perspective, but I think it it, it also makes the family mm-hmm. trust me, trust Maggie, and, and, you know, we've had several conversations with them about, we just want to get the facts of this mm-hmm. case. And it's worked out well. They have trusted us. They have shared a lot of information with us. A lot of information. A lot of information. So you think you guys, do you think you guys both were able to do this to main, in a way that maintains the respect for Mora, for her family, for law enforcement? Did you I, feel like absolutely. that was a... I think we tried to bring back respect. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even say maintain because I right. think it got to a point where it was so out of control. I think we tried to bring back respect to all groups involved and really, right. again, take it from like a baseline. You how know? was it out of control? Can you describe how it was so uncontrolled? The anniversary. I, yeah, oh I mean, the, it, you know, social the, media made it crazy. Social media yeah. made it crazy and the locals up there really, truly believe that the police botched this. Not even botched it, like had something, had something to do with it. it. Yeah. Maybe that they were involved in her disappearance. Yeah, so that's right. the police conspiracy, not even botched, like yeah. Yeah. actually had something to do with it. And this is all for stemming from these conspiracies on social media. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. And they really 
have found, you know, witnesses and accounts of things that they are fitting their police conspiracy narrative with. And we do interview uh, one of those witnesses that supposedly saw a police officer at the scene before the actual officer arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they're the police, you know, people in their eyes didn't have dignity. The family lost the dignity of the, to these people. Yeah. And we just needed to get back to a point where we could say, okay, let's start fresh. Let's all communicate. We're not trying to bring anybody down here. Let's just get to the facts. Just trying to figure this out. And I think those are the two groups we really concentrated yeah. on, the family and law enforcement. Yeah. Because those are the ones that really had right. the, ba- the and, basic facts. And for case. anybody listening who thinks, you know, a law enforcement officer like Art can't uh, be objective, I mean, he was... 100% objective. We would sit in the car. Has that been a problem where people think that he can't be objective? I think people will see him and yeah. think he can't be objective. Yeah. I think Why? What do they think that... Either because because of he's the, the law. Because of the fact that they think that the law might have had something to do with us and then you're law enforcement, so yes. therefore you're on the they conspiracy. Think, yes. The yeah. Blue Brotherhood. The I think blue, they would yes. think that. Yeah. And Art and I have had these conversations where mm-hmm. I say, you know, I, I asked him many times, like, are you being objective? I mean, mm-hmm. these are your people. Yeah. And he, he goes, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Right. If they did something wrong, we need to find out. Yeah. And we get to discover whether or not you think that that was the case. Right. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Um, what are your goals for doing this? Like to, to bring this back on TV, to do this miniseries, to bring light to this whole thing. What are you hoping will happen when this is all done? I mean, from my perspective, I hope the New Hampshire State Police get a phone call and say this is what happened. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. I think any uh, the, the main purpose we went in here is to help the family. Mm-hmm. And and I think the family is very pleased about this. Obviously, anytime you can keep a missing person case out in the public, mm-hmm. you know, somebody, somebody saw something. something. Yeah. And and I mean, we would love to have a phone call come in. On the flip side of that, I'm, I'm sorry, did you want to also say what your goals were for this? Same thing, same yeah. thing. And we've been getting tips, I mean, since the first episode aired. I've been yeah. getting tons and tons of emails. Wow. Um, anyone that I think is actually legit, I will forward to Art. Mm-hmm. So Anything please. you've seen that's legit? There's a couple. There's a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a couple, and we will absolutely follow up on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we both hope that happens. Um, where would they, who would they contact anyone? Who do they contact if they have a tip? Yeah, I New wish Hampshire I had the State phone Police. numbers. The New, New Hampshire, Hampshire State, State Police. Police. We can put that right. in the description. Yeah. yeah, the New Hampshire State Police Major Crimes Unit. New Hampshire ha- State Police Major Crimes Unit. They have a cold case unit mm-hmm. built within the Major Crimes Unit mm-hmm. that has this case, and Got they it. are working it. Uh, and obviously, obviously, if you tune into Oxygen TV at um, Saturdays, I want to ask about one of the things that I thought about. What about that immediate crime scene area mm-hmm. that... Did they look for bodies or remains or act? Did they check that immediate area for anything that yeah. came up as suspicious? They did. And we were actually, um, I don't remember what episode it's in, but uh, it's fact out there that they did do a massive, massive search. I mean, they checked a five mile radius, a 10 mile radius. They checked places up to 50 miles and away. Right. No dogs catching any sense no. and nothing. And the dogs had GPS on them. Mm. So we actually saw the GPS maps, maps. where wow. the dogs searched and we were blown away by the search radius. Yeah. Wow. It and was nothing. pretty amazing. They had FLIR helicopters with forward looking infrared. So she wasn't in the area. She, she wasn't was. in the area, and and nobody found any footprints uh, miles away. I mean, it was just. And like, that was something we repeatedly checked on every right. person we interviewed. Did you look for footprints? Where right. were, were there footprints? Like we couldn't get off this footprint thing because it seems so important. Everybody said we looked nothing. 
And and when you look at the the accident scene and you, you see it in the first episode, mm-hmm. there's a real good aerial yeah. view. Only about 120 yards down the road, mm-hmm. just past the school bus driver's house, mm-hmm. there's nothing for nothing. like 10 miles. There's no footprints, no no. Road but I mean, nothing. there's no houses. Yeah. It's just there's a scattered house every now and then. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the beginning of the national park, mm-hmm. so there's nothing there's there. There's nothing there, and there was if, if she would have gone in there, there was snow on the ground. You might right. have seen mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, the dogs nobody, went down there and didn't. See people anything. actually, one of the people actually went west going home to Lincoln and didn't see anybody walking down the road. Okay. So yeah. it, it uh, they, the, ex- the search was pretty extensive. So this is, I mean, this is just one of these cases that the more you read and the more you listen and the more you watch, especially with watching what I've seen so far, it's really gripping because you have enough motivation to maybe think she disappeared, but then have enough to question that. Is it a disappearance? Did she, do, did she like leave on purpose? Was it foul play? Mm-hmm. All of these conspiracy theories, plus not being one of the biggest cases on top of the social media age, um, it's really been fascinating to watch this. And I have commend you guys for being able to go back in and do it with such precision, because you really both have. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Inspiring conversations on lifestyle, celebrity, relationships, and more. This is Glamier with Dr. Tavis Amir. Um, So we can watch this on Oxygen at 7 p.m. on Saturdays. And it's the disappearance of Maura Murray. Is there anything you guys want to add? I think we I think you know something we just want to make sure we touch on is that while this entire case that we've looked at is about Mora, it's you know there are 70,000 women at any given time in the United States that are missing. Yeah. And I think that the family is lucky to have, you know, this publicity and a lot of families say we want that publicity. Yeah. Um and so I just want to acknowledge yeah. that mm-hmm. that you know and while we go forward, I mean, we hope we can we can tackle some of those. We we wanted to we wanted to talk a little more about that issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't able to fit it in the six yeah. hours, which which well, which is sad. But well, how about right now? What about what you can advise people if somebody they know has gone missing? What do they do? There's there's some. Um, That's so hard. It is it is difficult because mm-hmm. if it's not if there's no foul play involved, mm-hmm. then law enforcement is gonna really not take a real heavy duty look at it right um there's there's a there's a couple of issues there's a lot of unidentified john does jane does Mm -hmm. out there there's five different databases that have missing persons in them whether Mm -hmm. it's interpol Mm -hmm. the u.s national central bureau in dc whether it's ncic the national crime information center Mm -hmm. you have nick mick the national center for missing and And these are just john doe jane does Missing persons, missing persons, persons overall. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay, and then you have NamUs, which is more of a private, mm-hmm. and, and the Doe Network, mm-hmm. which is also kind of private. You, as a law enforcement officer, would almost have to query every single one of those to get information on a missing person because each one has a different chunk of information. 
So what what I found out is that this is a small niche in law enforcement that nobody really, some people have picked up and run with it, but others has not. I think probably the most experienced people that deal with missing person cases are like coroners, deputy coroners, mm-hmm. medical examiners that have John and Jane Doe's sitting mm-hmm. sitting in you know on on ice mm-hmm. that they're waiting to identify. So what I would say to answer your question, you know, what can somebody do? That is a huge issue that we discovered that there is no national methodology for finding and identifying a missing person and a Jane and John right. Doe. People think, you know, you just put somebody's a, a dead person's fingerprint into the system and boom, you have the yeah. missing person file. It absolutely does not work like that. Like mm-hmm. he said, you have to query each one. It is so complex and complicated yes. from county to county, from city to city. There's so no national database. There's just, it there sounds like none. multiple. There's multiple, right. and it is such a huge problem. And it's such a lot of paperwork, which I'm is, sure, to get yes. It is, and which is also a possibility that Mora could be, a, you know, it doesn't have to be that she's buried in the White Mountains. She could be a Jane Doe in a morgue right mm-hmm. there in front of us, mm-hmm. and 13 years later, right. somebody just hasn't queried the right place, which is so devastating so you know i've spent a lot of time looking at the doe network and namus just at all of these faces and what i've seen they list the cases that are solved and it's from family members going Mm. on and just spending countless hours looking for a case that might match their family member so if you do have somebody that is missing in your family I would I would say do that. It is hard. It is painful, but you have what, to do the What are you work. looking at when you when you get onto these databases? There's Pictures? photographs. Wow. There's some of them have wow. photographs. Some of them have wow. photographs. Sometimes there are photographs oh, of right. the deceased body if it's uh-huh. you know well kept. Yeah. yeah. And you can take a photo of the body that a was found. A lot of times there are. Otherwise, it's it's a. It could be a composite sketch if they had right. only Gosh. found bones. Um, there's DNA profiles. There's dental profiles. But it's are, all jumbled up. But so you're telling me a lot of them were solved from family members. Yes. yes. Isn't that heartbreaking? Heartbreaking. Yes. And That's sometimes, you know, we both were fascinated by this case that led us to a coroner in San Bernardino where right. the mother was in Alaska and she was going, she was on NamUs, I believe, NamUs or the Doe Network, looking, you know, putting in her daughter's height and the day, the last time she was seen, and she was looking at all these cases, and this one face kept popping up. It was a composite sketch mm-hmm. that looked like her daughter from a Jane Doe, but the date that she was last seen was wrong. They had her in the system as go- hadn't, having gone missing way before her daughter had gone missing. So she kept right. saying, this can't be her, this can't be her. But she finally contacted the coroner's office and said, can you just test the DNA? Mm-hmm. And it was her daughter. The was, information was, was put in wrong in the system. Oh. And so this mother spent a few years, yeah. years. Um, a few years trying to look oh. at all these Jane Doe's. And right. it was, she could have found her right away if the information had been correct. And you can't really be too, it's heartbreaking and devastating, but these are manually entered. Yes. yes. And you know, anyone who's spent any time in a lab, yes. okay, yes. I remember being that medical student in a lab, manually entering data, and sometimes mm-hmm. the one and the three or the one and the you transplant, it's because you're tired. Right. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of potential for human error. There is. Tons of potential. Tons of potential. Yeah. And so that's, that's to go back to it, like, if there is someone you know that is missing or you are a sleuther, you, you know, you could find somebody like Maura and you can yourself just go through these databases and yeah. see if you find a Jane Doe that might match her or your family member or your loved one i mean it takes a lot of time and effort and legwork but that's that's, that's how we do it it's it's really um 
heartbreaking, but it it's, it's a fact that yeah. um, it's good to know that as, as awful as that is, because that's something I didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I had no idea that a lot of these databases can be um, pulled up by family members mm-hmm. and family members have mm-hmm. solved their own missing cases. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it about um, just the whole missing person? What, how can we make it better? Is there a way to make it better that's really possible? We, t- we talked about that. I mean, it's, uh, I think from a law enforcement perspective that the police have so much to do already. Yeah. I mean, now they're, you know, giving... Like, do we all get GPS like, right. inputs yeah, into I our mean, body? I, do we all, it's like, hard because the best answer yeah. is when somebody goes missing or when someone is not showing up in their life to just treated immediately as mm-hmm. a criminal case mm-hmm. but you know you that's a lot that. of manpower yeah. it's a lot of manpower there's mm-hmm. 400,000 people that are like reported yeah. missing reported every year missing. there's like 99 percent of the cases are cleared up yeah they mm-hmm. show up later yeah so i mean it's it's hard because mm-hmm. the odds are so far against somebody actually being missing mm-hmm. that when they do go missing mm-hmm. You've lost some time, right? Here. And that's but when you look back, like yeah. this case, and say, right. "Man, oh, I should have hindsight." Right. But like, if you have little kids, do you put chips in them? Like, do you? Because this is something that you know we joke about, we laugh about, but maybe if we all had these things, like we get immunizations, we get vaccinations, we get a chip that's a GPS yeah. chip that maybe you take out when you're 18. I mean, is that something that you would think about or consider? I mean, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children does a lot mm-hmm. in that particular area. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the person that runs that show is a friend of mine, mm-hmm. actually, uh, that runs Nick Mick. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a lot of suggestions on what to do with children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do we want to be that big brother? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I would if it was yeah. like, you know, after <laughs> hearing your child. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. But you're yeah. saying that more than your mom and dad would be watching, anyone could be watching where right. your kid is. And that could be hacked, and that could be another situation. Right, exactly. So. Yeah, it's complicated. Um, But I think that we have to get to that point one day where as much as we've come forward in technology and crime fighting and crime solving, Mm. and we have to think about what we can do for prevention. Right. Mm. You know? I want to thank you guys for being here. This has been fascinating. And it's been a pleasure, like, talking to you guys as I've been watching (laughs) this. And I'm so beyond. It's such a great miniseries. I... I can't imagine anybody who doesn't love this sort of stuff would be so fascinated by the way it's shot, the way you guys interview, the the journey that you take us down. And ultimately, I hope that your goals are achieved, that yeah. somebody calls in with a tip that leads you to Mora. Thank you. We really Thank appreciate you. this. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we appreciate you talking to us. Thank you for being here. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.